Well, we're going to start the sermon this morning by showing a video of the first prayer I prayed at the first service in this building. All right? So here that is. And here we are, our first service in the new building, first sermon in the new building. Uh, and, and when I preach, sometimes I kick it off with like a little hook, like I learned in preaching class to share a little hook, a little funny something or other to like make you want to listen to me. But uh, I thought first sermon in the new church building, how about I pray? How about I pray that God blesses every sermon that's ever preached from this stage? Does that sound like a good way to start things off to you? Let's, let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, and let's just pray to the Lord and ask his ministry upon every sermon here. Let's pray. Father, as I begin the first sermon that's preached in our new building, I just pray a special blessing upon your church that gathers to hear from you. Uh, Lord, bless every message that will be preached from this stage from now on. We believe your word is more than the thoughts of man, more than the stories of humanity. Uh, Your word is truth from heaven. No, it's written by the pen of man. It's breathed out by the mouth of God. We trust your word will not return void, but will accomplish your will in the hearts of the listeners. We ask that your voice would be heard by all. Test us, O Lord, and try us. Examine our hearts and minds. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, Father, and save souls from eternal condemnation. Lord, awaken dead souls to life and be glorified as every one of your promises proves true. Lord, speak. We listen attentively. And it's all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy, chapter 4, verse 13, gives us a perfect sermon for a day that we dedicate a building to the Lord. The title is, Devoted to the Word. And really, the foundation that we're laying here is not bricks and mortar. The foundation is the Word of God. It says in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Lest the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We want the foundation of our church to be strong. And it will only be strong if we lay that foundation on the Word of God. So we're going to talk about making sure that the foundation is intact. How can we be a church devoted to the Word of the Lord? Well, check out 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. It says this, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hey, right away in verse 13, the Apostle Paul says to Pastor Timothy, until I come, so he's on his way to town, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Write this down. Number one, we've got to proclaim the God's Word without apology. We're called in the Bible to proclaim the Bible without apology. And he's asking here that this church in Ephesus would have a foundation of the proclamation of God's word as the first thing. But today, in our world, in many churches, the word of God is not being taught. This is our chance to recommit 
our ministry to the preaching of God's Word. This is our chance to reaffirm that one of our four pillars is proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, and that will never change. This is our chance to devote ourselves to the Lord and to preaching His Word one more time. What's being taught today instead of God's Word? Well, many times when you go to church, you just hear somebody's personal opinions. They could be on politics or something going on in the social realm or finances or maybe even a theological opinion of a person's thoughts on a certain area of doctrine. Um, but, but many times you get somebody who has an axe to grind or one thing that they don't get off of and it's just their opinions over and over and over and over again and that's not biblical preaching. Sometimes you go to a church that preaches the rules of men, trying to control the external conformity of God's people to extra rules not found in the Bible. These could cover everything from what you wear to how you dress to how you cut your hair to where you go to entertainment and movies and dancing and basically the gray areas of Scripture become black and white by the pen of men. That's not biblical preaching. Legalistic conformity to external restraints is not biblical preaching. Sometimes you go to a church and you don't really ever see a Bible. The pastor doesn't have his and there's not really any out in the seats. And, and you get heartwarming stories about life um, with a dash of Jesus. You get helpful lessons about things in the world with Jesus as a footnote. Somebody mentioned in passing, certainly not the feature presentation. God's word may or may not be referenced, but again, it's just kind of indirectly. And that's not biblical preaching. In some places you go, they're teaching that many religions are useful ways to connect with God. Pluralism and universalism invade the church and therefore the preacher or the teacher starts talking about how all faiths can come together because they basically all say the same thing or they can all be true. And that's not biblical teaching. So when I say that we are committed to proclaiming God's word without apology, I'm saying we believe that this is a one-of-a-kind divine book. That every word of God proves true. That all of it is breathed out from the mouth of God. And therefore, when it's proclaimed verse by verse, everyone in the room who hears it is bound under its authority and called by God to obey it and do it. We preach God's word as it is, as the word of God. And we're committed to that, and that's never going to change in this church. So we're devoting ourselves to that again. And it says here in verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So here's like the gathered church. So in the early church, what did they do? They devoted themselves to God's word being shared. Uh, And it says here also to exhortation. Exhortation uh, means encouragement, but there's two forms of exhortation. The one form is somebody puts an arm around you and says, Hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. God is good. Keep going. But then the other form of exhortation is, listen, you need to get it together. Do the right thing. You know what to do. And this is more of the stern form of encouragement. So as a pastor, I'm supposed to teach in a way that encourages you to follow God's word and sternly charges you to do it because you know that it's true. That's exhortation. And then it just says teaching. So again, we're in verse 13. It says, devote yourself to the reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. Meaning just informing God's people of what the Word of God says. Opening the book, they have their books open and we learn together what pleases the Lord. The truth is that we come to church not just to learn God's Word, but to, to change. All right? 
That'll revolutionize your thinking of discipleship. When you understand you're not coming here just to learn, but to change. To be encouraged to grow in an understanding of what God expects of you. Um, And so, the first point is, if we're going to devote ourselves to the Word, proclaim God's Word publicly without apology. And then in verse 14, it says this, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So number two, write this down. Don't neglect your spiritual gifts. Don't neglect your spiritual gifts. If we're going to be devoted to getting God's word out, we have to understand how God plans to get his truth to the church and to the world. And he plans to do that through believers using their spiritual gifts. Um, the basics of spiritual gifts would be, would be this. Here's spiritual gifts 101. God's got work for you to do. He's gifted you to get to work for Christ. There are assignments with your name written on the top, and he wants you to spring into action to make it happen. Uh, my daughter Cassie, our middle child, are any of you middle, you middle child? You middle child? Don't tell me about your struggles. Middle child. I'm an oldest child. Favorite child. Uh, middle child sometimes gets, you know, some attitude with us. So she had to do homework and Cassie said to us, I don't want to do my homework. We said, you got to do your homework. I don't want to do my homework. It's your assignment. It's got your name on it. I don't want to do it. So we said, listen, you're desperate. I said, there are children in other countries that would love to go to school and have homework. I went there. And then she looked up and said, well, I'll send them mine. That backfired. Backfired. But hey, Listen. There is an assignment with your name on it. Every week there's work for you to do. And God generally calls you to work for Christ in a hundred different ways. Meaning you might not need to pray about serving if we need people to move boxes around. You know, like, well, he wants me to work for Christ. This is an opportunity to work for Christ. I'm just going to do it, right? Generally, he wants you to work for Christ. He's put his spirit in you to help make that happen. Once you're saved, in an instant, God the Spirit takes up residence in you. It's called the indwelling of the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is in you. That shows that your relationship to God is so unified and special that you're His temple. That only happens after you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And once the Spirit is there, the fullness of the Spirit is there, um, He goes to work transforming you. One of the things He does is He gets spiritual gifts or abilities developed in your heart, so that you can serve others in the church. Spiritual gifts are always for others, not for you. They, they may benefit you, but they're used to build up the body of Christ. Okay, So, that's why you have the Holy Spirit, and that's why He gives you spiritual gifts. Um, but these burdens and these gifts uh, come by His Spirit working in you. And then as a response, we're supposed to not neglect our gifts. Okay, And hey, every week Christ is going to have work for you to do. It's not like you're ever going to go to his presence in prayer and say, Lord, what would you have me do? And he's going to look at his list and say, well, I'll be, you got it all done. Just go have fun until I come back. Don't get in any trouble. But you finished everything I had for you to do. That's never going to happen. There's more work that he has for you and for me to do, which is why we must not neglect our spiritual gifts. We have to understand that spiritual gifts are the primary way God makes His presence known to His church and the world. Hey, are you going through some things right now and you're like, man, God better be right by me. This is so hard. I can't believe how hard this is. Where's God? He's not going to 
zoom into your living room and say, I'm here. How will he make his presence known to you? Through the spiritual gifts of your brothers and sisters around you. How's he going to get you encouragement, support, compassion, generosity, help, guidance? Look around. And when God's people go through dark valleys and they step away from their church family, they are removing themselves from God's presence. And when we have an opportunity to love a brother or sister in Christ, that's God saying, I'm going to use you to do something special in this other person's heart. So we must not neglect our spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts come in two basic forms. There's speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, the serving gifts, if you have those, you're more, you prefer to be behind the scenes. You like to help or encourage, maybe administrate. Um, but the helping gifts are more task-based. You like to, to do things, tasks that you know, you don't really need recognition. You have more of a helping gift, uh, serving gift. And then there are speaking gifts. Those gifts can be evangelism, preaching. Those gifts can even be worship, uh, speaking gifts. The, the gifts where you've got to get the Word of God to the church and to the world. Here in the heart of this passage, the danger in Timothy's life is that the speaking gifts will stop. And if, if those in the church stop with their speaking gift, the Apostle Paul knows where it's going. It's going to interrupt the mission. Okay, so he says, don't neglect your gift. Get the word spoken to the church. And the danger in Ephesus was there were false teachers speaking wrong things. What's the, what's the counter? We've got to get the truth spoken. Uh, you see in the church, there's the air war and the ground war. The ground war is let's get hands and feet to Christ and get the love of Christ to the ends of the earth in meaningful, compassionate ways. To reach out to the needy to the lost, to the poor, to the broken. Yes, that's the ground war. But the air war is we need to get the truth out so that all the other lies are drowned out in the church and in the world. That's the air war. If you lose the air war in the church, it doesn't matter what the ground war is doing because the air war is polluting the environment with toxic spiritual falsehood. So don't neglect your spiritual gifts. What does it mean to neglect our spiritual gifts? Well, write this down. We must not get distracted. We must not get distracted. Uh, we can fill our lives with important things. But if we do it and it crowds out working for Christ, if as a church we do good things that, and those things crowd out getting the gospel out, then we're distracted. Uh, one of my favorite commercials is that farmer's commercial, farmer's Insurance, where they go, and it's the distracted driver. Have you seen that one? Check it out. Here's the farmer's commercial with the distracted driver. I think that accounts for coming. 25% of car crashes. Music, cell phones, food, the list goes on. This is why safe driving is so important. Correct. And it's why the best agents help safe drivers get a lower rate. Oh, exactly. We are insurance. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Distracted driving, right? Gets you in trouble out on the road. Hey, that can be you as a Christian. Distracted. That can be us as a church. Distracted. And we can get so distracted that the Word of God is not being proclaimed. We're doing other things and we're maybe even doing good things, but we're neglecting teaching the truth. Our youth ministry can get distracted 
from teaching God's Word. We can fill our children's ministry with so many things that are good, but if it crowds out teaching God's Word, we're distracted. We must not get distracted. Write this down. We must not get divided. We must not get divided. This was going on in Ephesus. There were fights, church fights. Maybe you've lived through a church fight or two in your day. What happens when a church fights? It's all everyone's talking about. Did you hear what she said now? Oh, did you hear what they decided at the meeting? It becomes all consuming and exhausting. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? What did the website say now? It becomes the mission. It's division. And here at Harvest, we resolve conflict. We resolve small conflict because we know that if we get in the habit of resolving conflict, then we'll be able to resolve big conflict. If we neglect small conflict, we'll neglect big conflict. Uh, mature, healthy Christians learn how to resolve conflict. Many people in the faith for a long time are terrible at resolving conflict. Terrible. Horrible. Leave the church and don't even send an email. You've been a Christian for how long? Um, and we challenge our leaders to build into our culture the ability to lean into conflict and to solve problems in the love of Christ. If we get divided, we're going to get distracted and then we'll neglect our gifts and the word will stop going forth. We must not get discouraged also. Write that down. We must not get discouraged. This is where we just get burned out. We're not getting anywhere. We're not moving forward. We're just exhausted. We can't do this anymore. We can't get discouraged. We've got to continue to proclaim the authority of God's word without apology and we can't give up working for Christ. So, hey, we're going to be a church devoted to God's Word. We're going to proclaim it without apology. We have to make sure that we're not neglecting the spiritual gifts of those around us by getting distracted or divided or discouraged. And then number three, write this down. Don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. Here in verse 15 now, the Bible is concerned with the heart of the person who's proclaiming the Word. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. First, we talked about the word proclaimed to the church. Then we talked about how it's proclaimed through the servants. Now we're talking about how the word is interacting in the heart of the pastor. Hey, that word needs to go to work in you. Don't stop growing. Do you know talkers? Do you know talkers? Do you know talkers who talk and talk and talk, but they don't back it up? Braggers, boasters. Do you know people like that? Maybe you don't live in the world I live in, but I know talkers. Well, they talk a big talk. They show off and brag, but their life doesn't line up with what they're talking about. And it would be terrible if Timothy was just a talker and he didn't back it up with his life. Paul says here, the Bible says here, Timothy... This word that you're proclaiming needs to go to work in your own heart. Don't stop growing. You must walk with Christ. The Bible says practice it, which means do it. Live it. Be more than a talker, be a doer. And then it says immerse yourself in it. Or In the Greek, it just means be in it, get in this. But by extension, it can mean you're swimming in it, you're immersed in it, you're, you're in it. Be in these things. You know when you're in a pool and then there's somebody on the pool deck and you're like, come on, get in. You're in, they're not. And you want them to get in. 
So you tell them to jump in, and then they won't. Well, it seems cold. Is it cold? Then what do you want to do? You want to pick them up and throw them in, right? You're getting in this pool. And the Bible here is basically saying to Timothy, stay in it. Don't get out of it, in or out. You're one or the other. Dive into these things. Check this out. This is a cliff diver diving in. This is supposed to be you. That's supposed to be you. Maybe you're like, I'm afraid of heights. Okay, then go with the low dive. Here's the low dive. Maybe this can be you. I don't care. However you do it, you've got to get in it. Get in these things. Get in. So that it says in verse 15, so that all see your progress. So that it's supposed to be visible. You can see the progress. Uh, Many times spiritual leaders get stuck because they act like they're done growing. They stop listening to the word of the Lord and they walk around in their cap and gown acting like they're graduated. And their job is to help you get ready for heaven because they're practically already there. That's not spiritual maturity. Then they get stuck. They stop growing. Their leadership goes to their head and cripples their own growth. Check this out. This person's stuck, getting nowhere. That's many Christian pastors and leaders going nowhere spiritually. Here's another stuck vehicle. Hit the gas. Can't. Just a rust bucket going nowhere. We try uh, in our church to create a culture of expectation. Um, From the elders to the small group leaders to the flock leaders, um, we constantly tell each other, God is just getting started with you. We resist letting the lie sink into any leader's hearts that somehow because you're a leader, you're done growing. Or because you're done growing, you get to become a leader. Those are lies. Uh, At the elder level, we get elder reviews done. We sit across the table, elder to elder, and we say, what's God doing in your heart? We resist acting like the work is done or will be fine or there's no need to check in. That happens on our elder team. That happens with our staff every year. That happens in our small groups every week. How are you doing? The assumption is God is still hard at work. In some churches, it's the people who pretend like the work is done that get to be leaders. Not here. It's the people who know that the work is far from being done that get to be leaders here. Over the last 12 months, if I were to say, what has God done in your heart over the last 12 months? Would you be like, Are you stuck? Do you have an expectation? Have you given God permission to swing a wrecking ball through your living room window and put an addition on your faith? Or are you like, God, we're good for now. Just keep your hands off me and I'll be nice. Do you even have a desire to let him change anything in your life or challenge anything in your life or smooth over any sharp edges with how you talk or how you parent or how you love or who you love or how patient you are? Do you even want your father to teach you some things or are you fine with the way things are? Because we're not. We want to see God go to work. So don't stop growing. Ingrain it in your heart that the vast majority of your spiritual growth is in the future. Download is maybe 9% complete. God's got so much more to teach me, so many more things for me to do for Him. I want to be exhausted by the end of this year. Then you'll grow. It says in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. 
Then it says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Keep a close watch. That means post a guard. Hey, God is not done with you yet. Does that encourage you? The enemy is not done with you yet. That should make you want to snap to attention and post a guard at the door of your heart. Imagine your heart is like a beach that the enemy has to raid. You have to give him whatever ground he gets. And imagine when he shows up on the beach of your heart to storm into your life, he sees one of these. You're waiting for him. I've been expecting you. How about this? Get one of these on the beach of your heart. I'm armed. I've put on the full armor of God. And it's a fight to the death. Man, listen, you need to fight for your family. You need to fight for your marriage. You need to fight for your church. You think that the enemy is just going to leave us alone? It is a war. And shame on us if the enemy comes to storm the beach of our heart and this is us. We're just... Well, that was easier than I thought. Hmm, Time to get to work. No posted guard. No urgency. Guard your life closely. We should be on high alert. Don't stop growing. Guard your life closely. You should write that down. And then you have to guard your truth closely. You can write that down too. It says guard your life and your teaching. Guard your teaching, your truth. See, because Christians can slip. Your lifestyle can slip, but your faith can slip. What you believe can slip. Christians can slip into ignorance, not knowing God's will, or pride, thinking they know better than others. Christians can begin obsessing over polarizing doctrinal issues that can't be fully solved this side of heaven. Christians can get all bound up in controversy within the church. And they don't watch over their teaching. You know, the older you get in the faith, the larger your ears should get to the Word of God. Last week I said you should have Dumbo ears every time God's Word is open. Whenever God's Word is open, your ears should flop open like Dumbo. And you should be a better listener, a bigger listener every year you're in the faith. But somehow, many Christians who've been in the faith for a while get this shrinking ear syndrome. And the longer they've been in the faith, the smaller their little mouse ears get. And they only hear truth from their favorite teachers. And they only like to listen to certain people. And they rule out the vast majority of people who could teach them a thing or two because they're mature. Listen, that's the opposite of maturity. If your ears are smaller than ever to God's truth and you only have a few chosen teachers who can teach you it, and and really you're, you're your own favorite teacher, that's not maturity. Dumbo ears is what we need to put on when God's Word is open. We've got to guard the truth closely. Then we become living examples and role models for others to follow. It says, so all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Then it says something shocking. I'm going to read this and I want you to react really strongly, okay? Shocked. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It just sounded like I said something that was heresy. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Sounds like the Bible is saying, Timothy, 
Continue teaching this word and you'll save yourself. And you'll say, hi, I'm Timothy. I've saved myself and I'm here to save you. you. Wait a minute, you can't save yourself or them. What is the Bible trying to say? Write this down. We've got to proclaim the word, not neglect our gifts. Don't stop growing. Why? For because you will save yourself and others. I'm just going to let that hang there for a moment because it sounds like it's not biblical. God saves. We're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works. I don't save anybody. God saves. The Bible says you save. Why does the Bible say you save? Because in Ephesus there were people teaching false things that couldn't save anyone from hell. They weren't saved. By contrast, Timothy was sharing the one truth about Christ that could save people from hell. He was saved by it. So in comparison to the false teachers and the false truth who couldn't save anyone, including themselves, Timothy, keep preaching the word because you'll save yourself and your hearers. Of course it's by Christ. But it's through the teaching of Timothy. Hey, be careful as you grow stronger in your faith that you don't, you don't feel like you're supposed to be passively involved in saving others from hell. Oh, God will do it. He's called them and chosen them. He'll save them when he's good and ready. And I'm passively involved. That's not biblical. Oh, he threw the life preserver out there and they'll get to it eventually. No, you're supposed to have a white knuckle grip on that rope and you're supposed to be pulling people from the water with all your might. That's biblical. Prove it. Where does it say that in the Bible? Jude one twenty three. Snatch others out of the fire and save them. Is there anybody in here? Anybody in here? The building's on fire. Is there anybody in here? Yeah, I'm over here. <sighs> Come on, let's get you out. That's evangelism. That's biblical evangelism. Snatch others from the fire and save them. The intensity, the urgency, your connection to that process is pulling people from a burning building. You'll save yourself and others. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says that by all means possible, I might save some. I might save some. He refuses to allow passivity to creep into his heart. God will get to him. His word is good. He's called them and chose. I'm in the building shouting, praying that they would be saved. I'm grateful for our evangelism pillar. We want to ingrain in every believer in our church that it's our responsibility to save people from hell through the gospel of Christ. It's my job. It's my job. God does it through me. I won't see a life preserver floating out from heaven. He gave it to me to give to them. I'm the plan. Owning that will cause you to spring into action to help other people get saved from hell. Resisting that, somehow getting passive in that, thinking God will do it without a human agent, is not the way that he accomplishes his mission. I love that God uses his church to do that. And I love that he's doing it in all age groups in our church. We've been partnering with CSP, which is an outreach ministry to high schoolers, and I told you, I've, I went to Stag High School. I told you that, right? Non-believer. Four years at Stag. Never got invited to church once. I don't blame them. I just wonder what would have happened if 
the Christians had reached out to me. So after I graduated, I got saved in college, freshman year in college. I, I grieved my years at Stag. I can't go back. I can't be a witness to my high school anymore. So I grieved that, and it was cool when God directed our church back to Stag High School where we met for four years, right? And we were able to baptize like 100 people in my old swimming pool. It was awesome. It was very redemptive. But my heart yearned to get the gospel into that school. So one year I went to Stag for See You at the Pole, which is a morning prayer meeting nationwide where students gather around the flagpole to pray for their school. And I showed up, and there was one kid sitting by the flagpole. And I walked up, and I was like, are you here for See You at the Pole? He's like, I said, are you the only one? Yeah. I said, well, I graduated here. Why don't we just pray? Why don't we just pray? So we prayed for the school. And I thought, man, God, can you do anything here? Like, And then we found out about CSP, and they started going to work in Oakland High School and other high schools in the city. And I thought, oh, we got to get stag. we got to get stag. But nothing happened. And then just this Maybe like a month ago, we had a student from our own youth group turn in the form to start a student club at Stag. It's called Ablaze. And so two weeks ago, they had their first meeting, and like 10 students showed up to start talking about sharing their faith with others. And so this last week was their second meeting, and they invited me to come out and talk about evangelism and sharing your faith. So I went into Stag Thursday afternoon, went into a classroom. There were 10 students there, and we just talked about how to get the gospel into their school, how to talk to their friends about Christ. It was awesome. And I'm just sitting there like, I can't believe this is finally happening. There's a, there's a club in here to bring the love of Christ and the truth of Christ to the people. And then at the end of my talk, we all got together to pray. And so we all held hands and we started, we started praying. And one of, the, one of the more shy students prayed, dear Lord, um, we just pray that you would help us um, to tell everybody, well, not everybody, about Jesus. And this other girl who is more outgoing whispered in a loud voice, Everybody! <laughs> she said it again, Everybody! This other sister is trying to pray. She said it a third time. gets it. Snatch others from the fire and save them. You're supposed to be a firefighter. This is a firefighter. That's supposed to be you. That's supposed to be me. That's supposed to be our church. We're not supposed to be fire watchers. Here's fire watchers. So let's pray. Lord, we know that you want your word to spread to the ends of the earth. You want your people to own the mission of getting the truth of Christ out. By it, we will save ourselves and our hearers. With any other truth, we will not be saved, nor will anyone else. So, Father, we boldly hold on to your word, the truth of Christ, Christ who is mighty to save. And we bring it out to our world. We bring it to our congregation, Lord, so that we might grow. And as we commit this building to you, Lord, we commit the ministry going on in this building to you. Lord, as your word is preached, 
May it find receptive ears and hearts ready to change by your grace. We pray, Lord, that you would instill within each one of us an ownership of the need to get the gospel to the ends of the earth and even to our region. Help us not to push that burden away onto somebody else. Help us not to theologically reason it away as if it will happen any other way. We must go. We must speak now. Give us courage to reach out with the truth of Christ. Give us clarity to know that it must happen. Give us open doors, Lord, so that we can see your word spread rapidly and be honored. We commit all the ministry in this building to you. It's in your name we pray.